welcome back. Thank you for joining us here on The Conversation. I'm Brooke Thomas hanging out and in place of Jenk, he is doing the hard work at the debate. We're gonna have some awesome debate coverage later this week. But right now, we are gonna bring in my friend, It's a journalist that I respect and love being able to have him on this show to talk about everything news that's going on around you right now. David Dennis Jr., Senior Culture Editor at News One. David, good evening. Hello, hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. All right, let's get right into it. Um, we spent a little bit of the last hour talking about um, the police officer shooting and killing a Tatiana Jefferson in Fort Worth, Texas. What were your thoughts when you first heard this? Did you see the video? Uh, I have not brought myself to watch the video. Um, I know um, what happens, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, as as black people, we can sort of take a little break uh, from watching these. We've we've been inundated with endless videos of uh, police killing black folks uh, pretty much since at least 2014. Uh, I've taken a little bit of uh, liberty to provide some self care of myself and avoid um, the, these uh, dash cam videos. But I do know uh, you know, what happened that night, unfortunately. There is a lot of talk from people who are saying, you know, black people can't call the police. We can't call the police. But, you know, and, and listen, and there is absolutely an issue of certain people calling the police on black people for just living their lives and knowing the danger that that puts them in. But Black people cannot be exempt from ever needing the police. And a wellness check when your neighbor's door is open and it's dark outside, that should be something that um, you feel safe doing, right? Yeah, I mean, wellness checks are, you know, essential and and a lot of times the only way to uh, legally uh, check in on people that you're concerned about. I mean, that is that is supposedly a way uh, to find um, you know, if you can't find anybody, if you need help uh, contacting somebody, I mean, wellness checks have been um, uh, effective, especially when we watched the documentary on the R. Kelly um, situation. Wellness checks were, were used a lot to sort of track down these these women. Uh, but I think that the issue here is not really, um, you know, what black people need to do, especially in terms of dealing with police, is really fundamentally changing what uh, Police and police officers and police unions, what they do. Um, right now, it's very hard to say that there is a net good um, that police do to society, especially for black folks. We look at um, the fact that police are, uh, you know, such a leading killer amongst black people um, of the past year. And the fact that, you know, you cannot be in your home playing video games, you cannot be in your house eating ice cream without the threat of police killing you. It should not be this way. We should be able to use uh, wellness checks to check on loved ones without being worried that they are you know, killed. And sometimes the onus gets put on black people to sort of adjust to police when really we should be talking about the fundamental change that need to happen in, and um, well, you know, with these officers and with these police stations, with the, the whole idea of policing in America. I mean, you have a brother who lived you know, her neighbor who was wrought with guilt for calling the police. Like that is ridiculous that he has to deal with that guilt. Um, and he did, he did the right thing, what is supposed to be the right thing. But sadly, uh, you know, the state of police right now is, is you know, it's a danger to black folks. Um, speaking of that and like the change that's necessary, the uh, police chief's response took me back a little bit. That was something that I haven't seen in any of the press conferences after a police officer shoots and kills 
um, an unarmed person, an innocent person. Um, were you surprised by the reaction from the police chief? Like, hey, he's not cooperating. I would have fired him. He quit before I could fire him. We have reported this to the FBI for their investigation. We're gonna continue our investigation. No one would look at that video and think that this officer did not act inappropriately. Condemning the video, condemning the officer, the officer's behavior, speaking her name, the victim's name over and over and over again. Um, I, did, were you surprised by that? Um, I was a little surprised by you know how you know forward the police chief was and passionate was about about bringing justice to this woman. The the problem here is not necessarily police chiefs. It's really their hands. Sometimes even if they feel this way, their hands are tied a lot by these police union contracts that are defending the officers who are who are doing this. So I know you know while. It is great that there is a, a passion from this particular police chief uh, to bring justice here. Um, there is a long way to go before we actually see um, this officer really face any consequences for his crimes. I mean, right. he's he stepped down. Um, you know, we saw what Amber Geiger in Dallas. We saw how difficult it is to sort of see um, justice prevail here. And uh, you know, th this is this is a, was a good first step. But uh, I mean, there should be uh, an arrest at least um, at this point. And let's talk about Amber Geiger. So just this happened just days after Fort Worth and Dallas are right next to each other. Everyone knows that. And this happened days after she was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the murder of Botham Jean and Botham Jean, excuse me. And uh, the judge, the judge in that case has been taking a lot of heat because after the trial ended, the judge hugged her. I spoke to her a little bit and gave her a Bible. And in a video, in an interview on Tamron Hall's new show, shout out to Tamron Hall, the judge was defending herself, saying that it wasn't inappropriate, that it was a Christian thing, that she couldn't tell this woman that her life still had meaning. She couldn't not give her the Bible, that her judgment should not come in to question here because the trial was over. What were your thoughts? Okay, so this is this is a, a complicated issue. Mm -hmm. um, I I would first posit a question to the judge and ask the judge uh, if there's video of her hugging any black people um, and giving black people Bible uh, Bibles that she's uh, put away in jail. That'd be the first question I ask, and I don't know if anybody's necessarily asked that question to her yet. Um, the Amber Geiger trial is complicated because Amber Geiger um, justice really uh, in a vacuum worked. Uh, in, in that case, we had somebody who um, uh, Botham John was. Uh, you know, there was a there was a jury of his peers. You had a black DA, you had a black judge, you have a black mayor in that city. You have uh, somebody who committed a crime and somebody who's going to jail for that crime for ten years and given the chance to rehabilitate um, herself, and was and was treated with decency and love and respect. And uh, you know all these good wholesome Christian values. And there's a belief that she will come out, and there will be some sort of, like I said, retribution for this. Mm -hmm. But that is how the justice system should work. That is how an A plus system in America. That is the ideal vision of justice in America, right? Yes, the wait, David. Here. I want to interrupt you there really quick because we do have some breaking news. It appears that Officer Aaron Dean has been arrested, and it looks like charged okay. with murder for wow, okay. killing a Tatiana Jefferson in Fort Worth. Sorry to interrupt you there. Okay, yeah, wow, okay. Um, okay, so <laughs> quickly, and then we'll, I guess we'll get back to that. But you know, the problem with the Amber Geiger situation is that um, while justice was served for her, uh, 
justice is not served for the uh, hundreds of thousands of black people who go to jail and you know are arrested and go to jail for things like you know marijuana possession or breaking an injury or things that are you know nonviolent offenses. They face life in in jail and the judge does not hug them and they are not given a chance to rehabilitate themselves. The problem is that this does not uh, you know go around everybody else. That's where the injustice falls. And uh, you know as I mentioned in, in an article in News One, I don't want. Amber Geiger to be treated like black people. I want black people to be treated like Amber Geiger. I want everybody to get this sort of justice that she received. And then we're looking at a criminal justice system that is um, totally different than the one we, we, we see now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thoughts on um, Aaron Dean's arrest? That was fast. Yeah, that was fast. I, I um, You know, the, we're, we're looking at a situation in which we could possibly uh, you know, things are moving faster than usual. Um, you know, I will caution uh, people to think that this is the end of the road. The DA um, that's dealing with this case is also somebody who uh, put a woman um, away from jail for a long time, I believe, for um, uh, I forgot the the nonviolent. Oh yes, the voting. Yeah, for uh -huh. voting in, yeah. in the wrong district. So uh, you know, there are going to be a lot of uh, lenses on this case. Uh, like I said, there is a lot of um, you know stuff working against. The idea of police ever finding, um, you know, getting, uh, you know, having to go to jail for these crimes that they commit. However, um, the Dallas areas, uh, you know, had seven uh, police officers uh, charged since 2013, which is more than any other um, area in the country. So there is some hope to be had that there can be some some justice here. But you know, as we've learned, there, there's a, a good reason for us to, to be skeptical of this stuff happening. Absolutely. Okay. In our last couple of minutes, I want to celebrate you a little bit. And I know you may not be able to tell us much, but I know you have some good news. You have a book on the way, right? What can you tell us? Congratulations. Oh well, thank you. I do have a book uh, on the way. Um, I will be uh, freaking out for the next uh, couple <laughs> years or so while writing this book. I'll be cranky, um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited. It's coming out on. Uh, Harper uh, books, and it is a, a book about uh, my dad uh, and his time in the civil rights movement. It is a cross intergenerational conversation between myself and and him as uh, I guess activists and people who are trying to uh, affect change. So I'm really really excited about it. Um, I'm really uh, hopeful that the uh, world accepts this and loves this as as I have loved this uh, work and and continue to. To work on it, and uh, you know, thank you for reminding me that I have uh, deadlines and and, um, <laughs> and and not a lot of sleep uh, ahead of me. But I'm I'm excited for it. I'm excited for for everybody to to read, and we'll be on here talking about it. Yes, we will, and I'm excited to read it too. So get to those deadlines, right? Right, right. We want to see this happen. All right, David, thanks so much for being here. All right, thank you. All right, we'll be right back uh, with one more great guest. Stay with us. Hey there, welcome back to the conversation. Thank you for joining us here. Let's get to our next guest. Our next guest is Ava Putseva, a congressional candidate for Arizona's first district. Ava, good evening. Thanks for joining us here. Thank you for having me here. Uh, let's get right into it. Right? Why are you running for office? We face urgent challenges, immigration, healthcare, climate change, and we can no longer accept timid, hesitant leadership that prioritizes corporate interests. We must put people first, and that's why I'm running. And you are primarying Tom O'Halloran. Why does he need to go? Well, he needs to go because he takes money from corporate interests, and then he votes 
in support of those interests. He voted to deregulate banks and weaken the Dodd-Frank Act. He voted to criminalize immigrants by voting for Kate's law. Mm -hmm. He voted to support ICE. And uh, he just recently voted to weaken the Raise the Wage Act and introduce an amendment that would allow Congress in the future to modify the future minimum wage increases. But it's also not just because what he, how he votes, he votes 40% with Trump, but what he doesn't do and he doesn't champion the kind of policies that we need. We need universal health care. We need bold climate action. We need a complete immigration overhaul. And those are the issues that he is nowhere to be found on. And let's touch on one of those topics there, because if I have this correct, you immigrated to the US from Slovakia, right? That's correct. And how did that experience inform your stance on immigration reform and what needs to happen? Mm -hmm. So I became an accidental immigrant because my former partner had college loans and he had to pay them off. And I was free, even though I came from a former Eastern European country. But the experience going through the process really highlighted to me just how unjust it is and how immigrants oftentimes are treated, especially when they come from countries like Mexico or Central America, you know, when they don't have sexy uh, British or French accents. Mm -hmm. And I really think that what we need to do is we need to have an immigration oversight committee uh, with the majority of indigenous members that regularly reviews immigration policies and recommend changes. We need to normalize the status of undocumented people, including those eligible for DACA, DAPA, and TPS. There is no benefit to uh, people in this country, American citizens, to people who are undocumented, to have people, millions of people living in fear. We have to get rid of ICE, abolish ICE, and return the agencies back to the US Department of uh, Justice. We need to expand the uh, Refugee Act to cover people fleeing climate disasters and also people facing domestic or other violence. We have to also establish an immigrant bill of rights. And these are just few policies that I think are absolutely necessary if we think that we are a you know, just and a generous society. And Eva, you previously were on city council in Flagstaff, Arizona, right? Can you tell me a little bit about your time there and some of the breakdown, mm -hmm. some of the reforms you were able to enact while in office there? Mm -hmm. So uh, today is the Indigenous Peoples Day, and I was able to initiate and we were able to pass the Indigenous Peoples Day in Flagstaff. Uh, while I was on the city council in my spare time, I ran a local citizen initiative raising Flagstaff's minimum wage to $15 and eventually amending it through um, council process to $15.50. But importantly, we also raised the exploitative subminimum tipped wage to the full minimum wage. And uh, that happened in uh, our city uh, 30 years after any other jurisdiction uh, was able to do it and keep that policy. I also championed and we were able to pass city's first climate action plan. 
And I championed and we we were able to pass city's first paid parental leave policy. What about uh, climate change? Where do you stand on the Green New Deal? So I am a big supporter of the Green New Deal. I really think that the only way out of this climate crisis is through heavy investments. Mm-hmm. We cannot just um, you know, focus on uh, taxing carbon or some uh, small regulative um, measures. We really have to heavily invest in retooling our economy. And it's only if we can retool our economy, we can also address uh, climate change. Uh, We cannot on one hand fight uh, for lifting people out of poverty and at the same time, uh, just uh, accepting status quo when it comes to uh, how we generate energy, what kind of transportation system we have, and what kind of building infrastructure we have. We cannot have a functioning economy and people uh, having great lives at the same time, not addressing uh, climate change. Absolutely. Uh, Where do you stand on impeachment? Where do you stand on the, the actions I guess Congress is taking right now? And do you think it is the right time? Has it taken uh, too long? Is it the wrong time? Where? Tell me where you stand. I think it's uh, taken a little too long, but I'm glad the Congress is uh, moving forward, or at least the House is moving forward. Uh, my opponent, the incumbent, was among the last ones to come on board um, after the Speaker uh, announced her support uh, for starting the impeachment proceedings. I think it's um, detrimental to this country's interests to uh, continue with this presidency. I think we should act swiftly and move things through the House and then um, to Senate. What do you stand on Medicare for all? I just want to break down some issues now. Uh, absolutely, and you know, I grew up in a country where nobody worried about medical bills ruining their financial future, and I believe that every American deserves uh, healthcare. Healthcare should be a privilege. Uh, I mean, should be a right and not privilege. Uh, we need, uh, and I really think that the proposal that's on the table um, as Medicare for All is a great proposal. Uh, I really like the part that says that you know small businesses, um, their payroll would be uh, exempt to the tune of the first $2 million. Uh, I think the fact that today uh, people can lose their health coverage if they change jobs, if they get divorced, if they um, reach age 26. Um, I think that should not happen in a country uh, where everybody um, appreciates freedom. And how free are we uh, if we have to worry about medical bills? So Medicare for All absolutely is the right uh, pathway to go. And uh, we need to get uh, the money making uh, corporations out of the system. Let's talk abortion rights now. Where do you stand on protecting uh, reproductive rights? Uh, So I'm a woman and I think (laughs) I cannot even imagine uh, another woman uh, opposing Fully fully bodily autonomy. Right. Uh, To me, it's very basic. I cannot believe that in 2019 we are still talking about this. Uh, You know, my grandmother died from a botched abortion, and it was in 1946 in a post-war Europe. 
and we are heading exactly where people used to be in countries without an existing uh, healthcare infrastructure, um, you know, in uh, the middle of the last century. Um, you know, I am a strong supporter. I will speak publicly and openly. Uh, we should not be afraid of the word abortion. Uh, we should not be afraid of the words contraception. And uh, we should really stand up for all women and actually all people, because it's not just uh, women that are affected by, um, you know, these draconian policies that we've seen, uh, you know, coming to life uh, in the last few years. And we just have like one more minute, but I feel like we went down a really long list of issues, but I just wanted to give you the opportunity to tell our viewers if there's anything else that's important to you that you'd like them to know. So I think one of the greatest challenges in this country is money in politics. And this is why we chose to run a campaign where we, it is a completely grassroots campaign. We don't accept any money from corporate interests or from lobbyists. And this is very scary to the political establishment and to everybody around us. And so if you think that we need more progressives in the house, and you would like to support our campaign, you can do so by going to evaforcongress.com. Um, you know, I think this is how change happens, is we, if we elect people that cannot be bought by corporate interests. And that's what we are doing here. Eva, thank you so much for being here with us this evening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, that's it for the conversation, but stay tuned because the post game coming back is really awesome. It's always great when we get these opportunities to have Dan on set here in the studio talking directly to you. And so that's gonna be fun and Steve is hanging out too. So it's gonna be great. Thank you for letting me be here with you tonight and I appreciate it. Have a good night.